Hey, what's up? I'm Jason, and you're listening to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. We're in this series called What's Under Your Bed. It's perfect for October, really. Sometimes the Bible can be scary. Sometimes God asks us to do scary things. And in this series, we're going to be navigating a variety of topics, and we're going to learn how to grow in our faith while shrinking our fear. Let's jump in. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. So thankful that you're here. I know a lot of you are sick. And uh, for those of you who are unable to be here, thank you for tuning in. I believe God has something for you and for every person here. I very feel very strongly. I prayed myself over every single chair in this auditorium. I believe God has you here for a reason today. And I want you to lean into that purpose. This is week three of our series, What's Under Your Bed? Last week was our three and 30. Steve Hines, Pastor Tom Price, and Lauren Pugh brought a message each around 10 minutes. I thought they knocked it out of the park. Can we celebrate what God did through them? It's a holiday weekend. I was out of town at a different church, and we had a guest speaker, and attendance was up. So what does that say? That says that God's doing something that's bigger than just me in this place, and I'm thankful for it. So today's message is subtitled, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Sounds creepy, doesn't it? For Whom the Bell Tolls. There's two more weeks after this week for this series. Next week is called The Rise of the Antichrist, and the week after will be called The Demise of the Antichrist. You want to be here. And if you look underneath the seats in front of you, there's these red cards. Go ahead and grab and hold them up in the air like you just don't care. These are invite cards. There are new invite cards. Uh, and if you'll notice on the back, they don't have a time. So... We kept changing service times and adding services, and I kept having to order new cards. And then all of a sudden, after four college degrees, I figured out, why don't I just make cards without service times on them? So there you go. That only cost me $120,000 in 12 years of my life. (laughs) These are invite cards. I want you to take them with you. I want you to be praying about who God wants you to give that to. It may be a random person at Sam's Club. It may be a coworker. Uh, I don't know who it's going to be, but God wants you to invite somebody. And so use that. If you go out to a restaurant and you leave a big tip, leave that card there. If you leave a, a, a poor tip, we have cards for First Baptist Hendersonville Church at the Welcome. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. We don't have those cards. But I, but I challenge you that, and we're going to be talking about that today and why. So... The 80s, 90s kid in me really wanted to title this sermon Saved by the Bell because I wanted to be Zach Morris growing up. Isn't that right, Marshall? Marshall was my screech for sure. Some of you millennials have no idea what I'm talking about. But for whom the bell tolls has, has probably fits this a little better, and here's why. is because I want to tell you about this thing called traphophobia. Traphopho- no, it's taphophobia. Sorry, I knew I was going to mess that up. Taphophobia. And it's a fear of being buried alive. Now, some of you are like, I've never had that fear before, but now I do. Thank you for bringing that up, Jason. What else do you have for me? Is this fear of being buried alive. I think that it was really elevated in 1884 when Edgar Allan Poe, who was totally normal, wrote this poem called A Premature Burial. But where did he get that idea? Let's, let's go back, and I have the story of a lady by the name of Alice Blunden. Alice Blunden in the 17th century in England. 
Now, Alice had what the doctors call a little bit of a drinking problem, all right? And Alice was celebrating something. Maybe it was like a, you know, a big win that was 52-49 or just something random like that. And, 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 and she was celebrating with this thing called poppy tea. And it basically had these unwashed seeds that acted as a heavy sedative. And it had uh, natural morphine and coating in it. And she drank so much in celebrating that not only did she pass out, but her body went almost into this deep state of rest. Now, Back then, it, basically what the coroner would do is bring a mirror to check and see if the body is in fact deceased and he would hold a mirror, he or she would hold a mirror underneath the mouth or underneath the nose and just leave it there for a period of time. And if there was no evidence of breath, they would be declared dead. Now keep in mind, this morpheme and coding like she is, her body function has slowed way down. You could trust me. I got a first stage merit badge from the Boy Scouts of America. Like, that's my medical background, so you can totally trust me. But, like, there was no evidence of breath. There, there, there really wasn't a long, drawn-out funeral. Couldn't really afford a balm, embalming. No one really did that very much. So they just had a quick service and buried her. And then... Two days later, some kids were playing on the playground because the playground backed up to the cemetery. That's not creepy at all. And, and these kids are playing on the playground and they go back and tell their teacher that they heard sounds in the graveyard. Sounds of screaming. Sounds of struggle. Now, what would you do if your kids came and told you that? It's probably the same thing when, when my daughters come downstairs and they're like, there's a monster in my closet. And I'm like, shut up and go to bed. No, I don't say that. But some people do. Not me. No, the Methodists do, though. You got to watch out for them. They, they, kidding. The, but the teacher didn't believe them. But she did happen to know relatives of Alice. And so she said, I should probably tell them. 24 hours go by and they finally dig up the casket. And they open it, and Alice is indeed dead. She died of suffocation. And in the casket, there was obvious signs of a struggle. The inside was clawed and ripped, and, and poor Alice was not actually dead. They just buried her because they thought she was dead. And then... That led to something I want to show you. Patent number 81,437 on August 25th, 1868. Blueprints for an improved burial case. I think it's on the screen behind me based upon how everybody, no one's looking at me right now. All right. And you'll, what you'll see right here is the blueprints and the drawings for a bell that would go down underground into the coffin and it would be attached to the tombstone so that anytime if somebody was buried and wasn't supposed to be or still alive, they could ring the bell for whom the bell tolls. And ironically enough, this is apparently where the term saved by the bell came from. Though Zach Morris and Mr. Belding would tell you that they came up with it. And so here's what I want to do today. I'm about to pivot and give you an elite level preacher segue. What I want to do is talk about two different things that are a season or a time that maybe you're in right now, have been in, or will be in that has to do with this. 
You see, Alice was buried, but not dead. And so some of us go through a time where we bury things because we have guilt and shame when we actually have a bell that could let the people around us that can help us know, hey, there's something that's dying under the surface. Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's a marriage that's just crumbling. Maybe it's something that you're going through and you think no one can ever find this out. And I'm going to bury it deep. When all it would take is ringing a bell to have someone step in and help you through it. The other half is this. These kids are playing on the playground. They hear the bell. And they go tell someone. And then help comes. Some of you are too busy playing on a playground and we don't even hear that bells are ringing of hurting people that are all around us. The prayer for my own life, because I'm susceptible to it, is God, don't make me so busy that I can't be inconvenienced by ministry opportunities. I think, how many times have I had an office door next to somebody, or have I been at the store, or have I been talking to somebody, or has God put somebody in my life who's ringing a bell saying, I'm hurting, things aren't okay right now, and I've been too busy to see it. That's probably why God has them in your life. A spouse, a child, a grandchild, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor. And we can't see hurting people. We can't hear the bells ringing because we're just too distracted. I think oftentimes Satan doesn't necessarily have to put things in our life because we put things in our life that aren't even necessarily evil. They're just busy and it distracts us from our purpose. So what do we do? What I want to tell you is I want to tell you that Satan is real. Demonic activity is real. Spiritual warfare is real. And you can deny it and be exactly where Satan wants you. But if you believe the Bible is real like I do and every single word is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, then you cannot help but think and know and believe that spiritual warfare is all around us. And that's what I want to talk about today. How do we fight it? We see throughout Scripture the phrase light and darkness being used as a dichotomy of terms all throughout scripture, light and darkness. And most of the time in the Bible, when it says light, it doesn't actually mean physically turned on lights. Now we see it in Genesis 1, 3, the very first time when God says, let there be light. But most of the time, it's actually referring to something metaphorical. God is light. That's what we have to establish first. Has to start with that. God is light. Did you know in heaven there isn't going to be any light source? There's not. No light bulbs. No sun. We don't need it because the Shekinah glory lights things up because God is light. Do you know the speed of light 
You, if you traveled at the speed of light, you could go around the earth seven and a half times in one second. That was pretty fast. Lean into this. This is a whole sermon in itself. Oh, this is good. You ready for it? I'm going to answer my own altar call. It's so good. Most light is invisible to the human eye, but we feel its effects. Do you remember back in fourth grade, some of you a long time ago, when you studied the electromagnetic spectrum and most of the light is invisible to the human eye, but we feel its effects. So if God is light, then that means he's not controlled by time. It also means that most of the time when he's doing things will be invisible to the human eye. So God is light. And if there's lightness, then there's dark. And there's darkness. And what do you and I do with it? I, I want you to see this. This is John 8, 12. And these are going to be the words of Jesus. Now, some of you are going to be very familiar with this portion of Scripture, but then we're going to stop and we're going to unpack it a little bit. So we're in John 8, 12. We're only going to focus on one verse for this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the what? The light of life. Now, this is a kind of a cool phrase. I am the light of the world. Building off of I am as just the title of God. And the book of John, the beloved disciple, it's really one of the, the things that really the hallmark of it that make it stand out are these seven I am statements of Jesus. And this is one of them. This is the kind of rhetoric that got Jesus killed, just so you know, because he's making a declaration that I am God. I am the son of God and I am God. And John throughout his gospels wants to show through his gospel shows that Jesus is God. That's why he starts off with in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And, it, and he says that right at the very beginning and then he, he shows the seven I am statements. And so for us to know the depth of I am the light of the world, we have to know where he said it, why he said it, who he said it to, because it's going to add layers to this. So, the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the Jewish holidays. If you speak Hebrew, you probably call it Sukkot. I know most of you probably thought of that right off the bat, right? I certainly did. Uh, S-U-K-K-O-T, I believe, but I was terrible at spelling bees, Jeremy. And, and, but, but it's this festival celebrated by the Israelites, by the Jews, and it's to remind them and to tell the next generation of how God brought them out of slavery. So he brought them out of slavery through the desert. And on the steps of the temple, they would light the menorah by four of them. And it would symbolize the light that God, that God provided, that he was during the desert. So they went through the desert in the wilderness. And at night, a pillar of fire would light up to show them the direction that they should go. And during the times when it was dark, when they were scared, when they didn't know where to go next, God always showed up and gave them the direction to head next. The light of God. 
And then it gets better at night. No, at, during the day, I'm just so excited. During the day, the sun would scorch them, man. It's like being in Tennessee in July and, and June, right? Hot. And, 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 and God would act as a cloud that would protect them from the heat. And it's painting this picture of this idea to remind them and to remind the generation behind them that God shows us where to go. He's our deliverer. But then also during the difficult hot days, he's our protector. And it's built in to remind them. And it's at this celebration that Jesus speaks up in front of the crowd and he says, I am the light of the world. And whoever walks in me will never be in darkness. Okay, so let's catch up to where we've gone so far. God is light, correct? Thank you. Jesus is light because Jesus is God, son of God, God, triune. God is light, Jesus is light, but now what? But now what? I want you to hear what Peter wrote. This is Peter post-Pentecost. Some of you, this is a familiar term. This is Peter writing this to Christians in the Roman Empire who were facing extreme persecution. Families ripped apart by wild animals as crowds of people watched. As Nero would use Christians as human candles to light his patio for his dinner parties. These words meant everything to them. He's reminding them who they are and listen to what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to what Jesus said. His own words, as he's talking to his disciples, this is also in John's gospel. So we'll go back to the gospel of John. And this is Jesus after that declaration. And he's just, he's approaching his death. And he's trying to tell his disciples, I'm leaving soon. Like, I'm out of here. So what little time we have left, absorb as much as you can from me. The Holy Spirit's going to come down to remind you of the things I've said, and then it's going to be your turn. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus. I mean, he doesn't have a whole lot of time left, and he's pouring into his disciples. John 12, 35 through 36. Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become, here's the whole phrase, children of light. Paul says the same thing. He calls us the same thing in one of his letters. God is light, therefore Jesus is light. When we spend time with Jesus, we become children of light. I look at this scripture right now in this season that I'm in. My daughters are eight and ten. I'm running out of time quickly that I have influence over them in my house. 
and I want them to be well-behaved. Trust me, I do. And they are most of the time when they act like me. Now, when they act like their mama, they're even better. She's in this service. But my primary goal with my children is not to make them behave. I'm looking at this the way Jesus was talking through the disciples, thinking, I have them for just a little while longer, and my goal is not to make them little clones of me that are well-behaved little soldiers, but my goal is to make them women of God. I only have a certain amount of time left, and I need to get the light of Jesus in them so that they become children of light, so when they leave my house and go into the darkness, they're bringing the Holy Spirit with them. But it takes intentionality. See, we can, we can ignore that Satan is after our kids. Or we can recognize it and do something about it. I have never seen the enemy go after this generation as strong as he is right now. Never seen it. He's got them convinced they don't even know what gender they are. <laughs> Too soon? Confusion. Go look at the numbers of how many people under the age of 18 are on anxiety medication. He's after them. The same way he went after Adam and Eve in the garden, through their mind. And us men are doing very little about it. I don't want to be reactive when it comes to my children. I want to be proactive. So how do we do it? God is light. Jesus is light. We can become children of light. And we're, we're, we're running out of time. But how? How do we do it? Let's go back to 1 John. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Stop right there. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> you see? Sorry. This is the Adam. I said, stop right there. And he goes, like a possum and a flashlight shining on him. Sorry, that was funny. I should have done that. <laughs> Listen to what he says right here. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So here's what I want you to think of as you. Okay? I want you to think of yourself as one of those solar lights that you stick into the ground and it shines up at night and makes your house look fantastic or whatever, but, it, but it's solar powered. That's you. And that's what you're doing here right now. Those things on their own are useless. Go buy one and put it in your living room. Just put it in a, in a nice little decorative pot but you got a Hobby Lobby with the coupon and put it in your living room and see how, what good it does. That's, that's what a Christian's like for the kingdom of heaven that doesn't read, it doesn't pray, it doesn't tell anybody, it just keeps this little light of mine. I'm gonna hide it under a, what's that song say? Bush, bushel, that's a weird line, but it's fine. It's useless. But when you put that light outside, during the day, the sun gives it power. That's what you're doing here. That's what you're doing when you spend time with God, is you're getting that power.
then at night, that's when it shines light in the darkness. How many, how many friends do you have that you would say are in darkness right now? If the answer is zero, you're shining a solar light during the day. I appreciate it. God likes spending time with you. Nothing wrong with that. But the purpose is children of light. Glenda's wearing a sweatshirt that says carry the light. That's one of our core values in this place. And that's what it means. That's what it's for. So we got to understand we absorb energy for time with God. And then let's finish this verse six. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us all from sin. See, what John does in this whole book, 1 John, this whole letter, is he says that to live in the light is to actually have fellowship with other believers. You're here today. But I'm going to imagine that Satan has tried to do everything he can to make you not be here today. I get it, Jason. But I have a job where I have to work Sunday mornings. I, I question, some of you aren't going to like this, if God really wants you to have a job that interferes with you bringing your family to church on a Sunday morning. There could be other ways. We have plenty of churches in this town that have Saturday night services. Do you go there? It's bold preaching. Maybe that is God's will for your life. I don't know. God's will for my life has never been to not bring my family to church. It's never been that way for me. Why are we here? Because there's some people here that are ringing bells saying, I need help. And if the believers don't show up, who's going to help them? On Wednesday night, we have a group of men that have been meeting and we sit in a circle and Jeremy and Steve lead a devotion. And then my favorite part though is they pass around a clipboard for us to write our prayer requests. And I'm always shocked at how honest the men are in this church to write their prayer requests down. It shocks me every time. And then when we leave, we get a printout and I pray for those men every single day during the week and we all do. That's how you hear ringing bells. But then there's also people in that room the devil wants you to bury it down deep in the dark because no one should see this. What would they think of you when you have a bell in your hand that you can ring for people who want to hear from you, that want to be there for you? But we bury things thinking they're dead when God wants to bring them into the light. Two weeks ago, I stood up on this stage right here and I told you that it had been a hard week for us. And my family, I told you that we have been attacked by, by the enemy. I went into a lot more detail at the 9 a.m. service if you were here. But I'm ready to tell that story today. I wanted to wait to see what God was going to do through it. And you need to listen to this. It might be the only reason that you're here today. Because you can ignore that Satan is after your family. Or you can recognize it and do something about it because the power of the Holy Spirit is in us. 
weeks ago, Saturday night, technically Sunday morning, 1.30 a.m., I get up to go use the restroom. Two weeks ago. And I walk back into the bedroom, and I look up, and right next to my wife's bed, by her nightstand, is this tall, dark figure. And, and, and then I stop, and I do probably what you're thinking right now, like, am I losing my mind? <laughs> is, this, is this real? Is this really happening? Because this is a Christian household. How can this happen? But Jesus cast out demons in the synagogue. And I see it. It's tall, kind of like a shadow, but thick. And it's looking directly down at my wife, not me doesn't even recognize I'm there down at my wife I go to bed I think I'm, I'm ignore I'm, I'm losing my mind this isn't really what's happening and I lay down in my bed and I look over and I see it growing now it's getting taller and now it's crept over a little bit as a shadow on a ceiling and it is looking directly down at her I start to feel knots in my stomach like the worst cramps ever. Start to itch. Oh, I recognize this feeling before. This isn't the first time that I've had an encounter with a demon. It probably won't be the last time. And I stood up here to tell you that I believe Satan is trying to take this church out. We've had two major car accidents in the last 13 months, both of which people should not have walked away from, and my family walked away. I know because you turn in prayer request cards that there are marriages that are hanging on by a thread. Some of you are facing some medical diagnosis right now, and it's happened a lot in about the last three months in this place, and I believe it's because this place is on the verge of a breakout. We've grown. We're adding people. You're here. I'm seeing spiritual growth in you that Satan's trying to take this out. And you can take it serious and be proactive or you can hear about it later after the damage has been done. So I know what this feels like. I've been in this situation before. So I know I got to pray. But here's the part some of you got to know. No one's ever probably told you this before. You can't pray against demonic activity in your head. Because Satan and his demons can't read your thoughts. They're not powerful enough. That's only a, a characteristic of Jehovah Jireh. So when you pray against demonic activity, it's got to be out loud. So I start walking the bedroom, praying out loud, hoping I wake my wife up so I don't want to freak her out. And I start praying. In the name of Jesus Christ, I demand you to leave. You have no authority in this place because the Holy Spirit is in this place. And I right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, demand you to leave this property. Do you know how long I had to pray that prayer? One time. Because the reason I'm telling you the story is twofold. One, because I want you to know how much more powerful God is than even the highest ranking demon. Because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And I cannot, 
I cannot use words to articulate how much bigger God is than Satan. No matter what I say, it's not even close. It would be an injustice to how big our God is. And if we are children of light, then his spirit is in us. And men, it's time that we start walking like it. It's time that we start defending our families like it. It's time that we start parenting our children like it. Because you can ignore it and then be reactive after Satan has already done his damage. I believe what happened that night is I believe that Satan was attacking my wife and I just happened to walk in on it. I didn't even tell anybody. I left that morning before anybody got up in my house. I was already here. I didn't say anything. And I get a text from my wife. And she says this. She says, I need you to tell me that you love me and that you're not cheating on me because I've had the worst dreams last night. The same way that Satan attacked Adam and Eve at the beginning through their mind. And then my niece was over and they were visiting and she came downstairs and said, I hardly slept last night. I heard weird voices and noises all night. I hadn't told anybody anything. You need to understand that Satan hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your children. And he seeks to kill and destroy them. And we're too busy to do anything about it. You see, a while ago, I used to walk, after the last time I had this type of encounter, I used to walk around my house and I would just kind of rub my hand over each door frame and just say a small little prayer, Holy Spirit, fill this place. Holy Spirit, fill this place. And I stopped doing it. I got busy. I got used to it. I used to go up to my kids when they were sleeping at night and I used to just put a hand on their forehead hoping they wouldn't wake up and be like, what are you doing, Dad? <laughs> and I would just pray for them. I would just pray that, that they would be followers of God for all of the days of their lives. I would pray for their future husbands. I would just, just quick little prayers, and I would do that whenever I walked by their, their bedroom, and, and, and then I stopped. I wonder who in your life is struggling right now. And we're too busy to see it. I wonder who in your life is Satan after? Is there a demon sitting in their room planting thoughts in their brain at night and we don't see it? And we are not filled enough with the solar power to be able to shine light in that darkness because we don't take our spiritual warfare nearly as serious as Satan does. So what I've been praying today, I prayed over every single one of these chairs. I did it this week as well, is I'm praying that every single one of you, I'm praying for a hedge of protection around you. If you are a follower of Jesus and you're a husband and a father and you have never done this for your family, let this be a wake-up call. Satan is after your family. But God said, through Jesus, that you and I can do even more. And I love when the Word of God says, and the demons know and they shudder. So here's the last two things. Some of you have buried things for too long. And guilt and shame. Areas of your life that you think will never be brought back to life. And God is saying, I put the bell in your hand. I put people in your life that will be there for you. Children of light.
Then there's the other people that God has put people in your life right now that are drowning in front of you and we're too busy to see it. So I've been praying bold prayers, Randall. I've been praying bold prayers. I've been praying that this will be a place that all the demons know about. I've been praying that God would put people in your life who are as broken as can be so that you can be a child of light to step in their situation. Because if God is in you, when you walk into a dark room, God is there because you are there. When you walk into a hospital and you're facing a difficult diagnosis, when you walk in there, God is there. Why? Because you are there. When you walk into a situation in which your children are broken, in which your children are hurting, in which your children are hopeless, and you walk into their bedroom, the presence of God is in their bedroom because you are there. I've been praying bold prayers for you, Ryan. Bold prayers for you people. And bold prayers for me. But it's going to take some bold believers who will be proactive for the spiritual warfare that we are facing. Would you stand with me, church? If you're not fired up after a message like today, you don't have a pulse, pun intended. So I'm going to pray. And continue my bold prayers. I'm going to pray that you got people in your life in the next 24 hours that you're supposed to give that card to, that you're supposed to pray for. Bold prayers. At the end of our first service, Carmen, I hope it's okay that I tell this story. If not, I'm doing it anyway. A lady came into our first service. She sat right back there. I walked up to her and uh, introduced myself, and she said, three months ago I was in Sam's Club, and a young lady came up to me and said that everything was going to be all right, that God told her to tell me that. And what she didn't know was what I was facing. And here I am three months later, and everything is okay. And she told me to come to Center Point Church, so I'm here. And she said, and now that same lady is leading worship up on stage right now. Uh, how cool is that, that God usurped her to use a child of light to speak something to her during a season when she was facing something? That's called prophetic words. What has God given you and who has he given it for? Are you going to hold on to it? It becomes that solar light in your living room. Looks cool, cost a lot, but worthless for the kingdom. So what are you going to do?